Okay, so I'm going to admit it. I don't like GPS. You know what this is, right? A global positioning satellite, this little box that goes in your car and tells you how to get everywhere that you want to go. I don't like it. I don't think it's any fun at all. It takes all of the adventure out of going somewhere new. I mean, yeah, it's great if you're in a big city and you want to get a burger and you don't know how to get there, but other than that, I would just rather a map. Give me an atlas. Let me look at it on a map and then plot our course and get there myself. I don't need this little know-it-all box sitting there telling me, turn right here, turn left here. I don't like it at all. In fact, I have an idea for an invention. Any entrepreneurs out here, I have a good idea for you. A GPS that answers questions. You know, so that you say, do I turn left up here or right? And then it would say something like, turn right up here, master. It kind of sounds like Barbara Eden on I Dream a Genie, if any of you are old enough to remember that. That's, a, that's what I want. I want the GPS that answers questions. Which way up here? Oh, it's right, master. It would always say master, wouldn't it? Uh, and it would just tell you how to get there. Um, I think, though, this might explain why my family is so reluctant to go on long car trips with me. They don't, they don't want to get out there and me saying, oh, yeah, I've been here. I'm sure we can find it. But that's what you do. That's where real adventure comes from. I also like the sense of accomplishment you get. When you look at a map and you kind of plot your course and then you find it, if you feel like you've actually done something. Most of all, and here's the real clincher, I hate the GPS because I never feel like I'm learning anything. I just turn wherever it tells me to turn and I get somewhere and I, I don't even know how I got there. Other people though, right honey? Some people love GPS. They think it's the greatest invention ever. Just tell me where to go and where to turn, and I'll get everywhere I need to get to. And perhaps maybe you have found that as well. Whatever it is, have you ever given much thought to how much time and effort and energy we put in to finding our way around this planet? How much time we spend on, on learning directions to go somewhere, either by creating these inventions that talk to you from the automobile or, or looking at a map. I really worry. I worry a lot. But I worry about map makers. Are there going to be enough people to buy atlases out there anymore to keep atlas companies making atlases? I mean, I, I just I don't know. And what happens if they don't? Well, it'll be the worst case scenario, men. If our GPS ever goes out and they don't make maps anymore, we'll have to do it. I know you know what I'm talking about, don't you? We'll have to stop and ask for directions. And none of us wants to do that. Ladies, us, for us guys, that's a very difficult thing to do. In fact, I know how, I know how men do it. You know, they, they pull into a gas station and they tell the family, stay right here. I don't care if you have to go to the restroom, we'll stop at a rest stop down the road. Stay right here. And, and, and they go in and, and they shop around. And they buy a cigar to make them feel like they're tough, even though they probably don't smoke. And, and they go up and, and, and they say, and, you know, and, and by the way, uh, you know, my mother-in-law, we always blame it on our mother-in-law, my mother-in-law told me uh, that to get to Binghamton, you turn left on 43, and, and, and the cashier's like, no, 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 that's all wrong. You, you go right on 43. Uh, see, I knew it. I knew she was wrong. And we sought her out of there. We've got our directions I know because I was behind a guy the other day in the, in the uh, you know, whatever it is, gas station, and that's exactly what he did. Um, not that I would ever do anything like that, but some guys do. You know, they, they won't ask for directions. We need to know not only where we're going, but how to get there, don't we? 
And that's really what the text in Luke's Gospel is all about. It's about directions. Oh, it's not GPS or an atlas, but it's all the same. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Verse 51, perhaps you heard it. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is directional speech, isn't it? Going to, we always follow our face. It's like Toucan Sam. You know, Kellogg's guy, yeah. follow your nose. It always knows, right? You're going towards wherever you're looking. And Jesus sets his face steadfastly for Jerusalem. It's about determination. He knows where he's going and he's planning to get there. But remember, for Jerusalem, for Jesus rather, Jerusalem means only one thing, doesn't it? It means the cross. It means that he's going to face the hardship of human evil. The worst that human beings can pour out. More than that, he's going to face demonic evil. The worst that hell itself can pour out upon him. And so for him to set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem just means nothing less than embracing all that it means to go to the cross. And as soon as he does this, He not only has to face the cross in his mind, he has to face the Samaritans in real life. They no longer want to welcome him. Did you see it? They shut up all the hotels and put no vacancy signs out. You're not welcome here anymore, Jesus. If you're going to Jerusalem, we don't want anything to do with you. Samaritans and Jews had had very little dealings with one another. And so for him, this meant, if you want them, you don't want us. The Samaritans did not understand what it meant to follow Jesus. But I noticed neither do his closest friends. James and John, they're ready to call napalm from the sky down on all the villages of the Samaritans. Lord, do you want us to call fire from the skies, they say. No, no, he says to them. And they go on to another village. But if you'll notice in a more ancient text, maybe there's a footnote in your Bible, or maybe you have a King James, some of the ancient texts say this. Jesus says to the end of it, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy lives, but to save them. The Samaritans don't know where Jesus is going. They don't know where they're going. His own followers don't seem to understand where he's going. And they're not really sure if they want to follow. And then we get these little scenarios, three little snippets of these people who decide they want to follow Jesus. The first one comes along and says, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere you want to go. That sounds like a good guy, doesn't it? I mean, there's your, your class, uh, your, your, your prototypical um, class A type disciple. He's ready to go anywhere with Jesus. But Jesus adds this little caveat. You know, foxes have holes and, and birds of the air have nests. But if you're going to follow me, that means embracing homelessness for a while. You know, I know that none of you believe this. But there's a lot of going around in the church about the, the, the idea that God only wants to make people wealthy. That He only wants to give everybody all that they wanted. Like a giant genie in the sky. You know, just rub Him and say your prayers and poof, you'll have everything you want. That is not discipleship. That might make for clever television scheming, but it does nothing to do with Christian discipleship. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but following me sometimes means embracing financial hardship and difficulty. It doesn't seem like this guy is ready to follow. In the next one, the Lord actually calls someone. In verse 58, he says, um, uh, he calls this person to follow. Come follow me. The guy doesn't volunteer. He's called. And he says this. But first, let me go bury my father. Now, that sounds like a reasonable request, doesn't it? I mean, especially if you consider in the ancient Near Eastern world, taking care of one's um, parents 
as they die was the most, uh, of the most severe religious obligation someone could have. So let me go bury my dad. Doesn't seem like a big request. Jesus should be willing to let this happen. But he doesn't. He says to the man, let the dead bury their own dead. As if to say he knows something about this guy's father. If you're going to follow me, it means that you give up everything, even the closest family relationships. You'll do whatever I say to follow me. And then one more. Another person shows up and says, I want to follow you, but first I need to go say goodbye to my family. Can I go say farewell? Again, seems like a very reasonable request, doesn't it? I mean, you're going to go off and, and you know, do something. You know, Andrew's going to head off to the Marine Corps. I think he's going to say, uh, hey, let's go say goodbye to everybody, right? There's no reason why you wouldn't want to do this. And yet Jesus doesn't even allow this one request. No one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom, he says. You see, this really isn't about going back and saying goodbye. It's about a stalling tactic to keep from following Jesus. Oh, I want it to look like I'm doing this, but I have no real intention to follow. Don't put your hand to the plow and look back, Jesus said, or you won't be fit for the kingdom. You have to know where you're going, don't you? And you have to know the way to get there. And in all of these cases, they have a clear opportunity. Follow me, Jesus says. Come, follow me. No, 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 I've got other things to do. I have other ways to do this. No. Discipleship, following Jesus, is about giving up everything. Giving up every right that you have. And saying, all for you. One of my kids the other day was telling me something about some person he met. And he said, Dad, they're really old. They're like 30 or something. And then they started blabbering about something. And I said, oh, yeah, 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 enough. You lost me at 30. You know, but I remember, I remember way back when, when I was before 30. And I was just thinking about a time when I was about 25. And when I was about 25, I worked for this company that I repaired uh, copiers. And I had these like three territory, there are three counties in my territory. So I would drive all over. And one of the counties was very, very, well, two of the counties were very, very rural. And so I would drive out on these backcountry roads, going to every little business and bank and farm and school. And I could tell you all about Logan, Champaign, and Clark County anytime you ever want to know. And so I would drive all over these places. And I remember one day in the summertime, I was driving down the road, and all of a sudden I'm looking around and I'm thinking, my word, where am I? You know, I'm completely lost. And nothing looks like what it should look like. And, and so here I am driving with, with my knee and hoping you don't come the other way. And I'm driving and I, I've got in my, my other hand, I've got some maps. And I'm like flipping through my maps and, and I'm trying to find where I am on the road. You know, and, and maybe look for a street sign along the way. Come on, give me a sign. And, and I remember thinking, Lord, I don't have a clue as to where I am. Help me here. You know, I could, I could really use some help. A, a crossroad, something. You know, there are some signs along the road that tell you you're going the right way. And Jesus has given us a few. Have you decided to follow Christ no matter what it means? Even if it meant financial hardship, even if it meant difficulty, would you follow him then? Would you put the will of God above every other person's input in your life? 
Is this the kind of discipleship that you'd have? And when you decide to do it, will you put your hand to the plow and never look back? See, these are signposts on the road to discipleship. This is what it means to follow Christ. And if you're doing it, they are sure signs that you're on the right road. Amen.